That was week number one. Last week when Kevin spoke, he focused on the gift of unity. Unity is what's given to us as part of our identity in Christ. So this what's in a name, our identity as people of God, part of that is unity. And he reminded us the first step in keeping that unity is to invite the Spirit to keep us humble. It was the first thing that Jesus did when he came down, and it's what we're called to do in order to keep the unity that God has already given us as a gift. We need humility. I really appreciated at the end, if you were here last week, Elizabeth leading us through a conversation of what can that look like? What actually happens if we give the Spirit space to keep us humble? And so today, now we get to verses 7 to 13. So you can turn to that if you've got it on your phones or in your Bibles. We're going to be lingering there today. And I've really appreciated lately, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed, we've been doing things a little bit differently, where we've tried to have a little more time for interaction uh, in our Sunday morning services. And Kevin's done a great job of framing that, reminding us we don't gather here just to get information. We gather here for transformation. That we as individuals and as a, a group that are following Christ together, we come to be transformed, not just to increase our knowledge. So that's what these interactive times have been for. And this morning we're going to do it a little differently. If you think through in Scripture, often when Jesus was speaking to people, it, it would prompt questions. And so some of the things they would, they would ask him, you know, what, what must I do to be saved? Or who is my neighbor? Or that parable about the farmer, like we don't get it. Can you tell us what it, what it means? And Jesus did a whole lot of his teaching in response to the questions that people had for him. And so we know that, that in scripture, the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates our interaction with scripture. He's the one who helps us understand it. He's the one who applies it to our life. So we're going to do something a little different. After we hear the passage this morning, we're going to take some time, pray that God will actually bring to mind for each of us a couple questions about this passage today so that we can better apply it to our life. So there's going to be two categories of questions. And I'll invite at this point, if, um, if you got a bulletin this morning, or if you are the, your family's keeper of the bulletin, then you, uh, you have one of these little sheets. But if, it's, if you didn't get a bulletin or there's only one per family or one per couple, just put your hands up if you didn't get one of these little sheets. It says fully alive on one side and there's uh, space for a couple questions on the back and the ushers will hand these out. So because God's spirit interacts, we want to ask God to bring two questions to mind for each of us. And the first question you'll see here is what question do you have about how to help you better understand this passage? So I've been asking those all week as I've been trying to dig into this and understand. There's some things in this passage today that are a little bit complicated and, and I didn't really understand it. So is there something specific in here, a phrase, a word when we get to the passage that you can ask uh, God to help you better understand it? The second type of question will be a question kind of personally about how it relates to me. How does it relate to you? So, you know, what is there in here? And asking God a question, God, what does this part mean for me? Or what are you inviting me to as a result of this? Okay, does that make sense? So in a moment, after we hear the passage, we're just going to take a few minutes. Uh, we'll have Ken and Sheldon are just going to play quietly. So we have a chance to reflect on that after we've heard it. And invite God to bring one or two questions to mind. So I'm not quite as bright as Kevin. Last week, Kevin... Uh, he read the Kevin Armstrong version of the Bible last week, and then he was telling us uh, about how he had done all his prep work in the, uh, in the Greek text. So 
he inspired, Kevin, you inspired me last week. I got out my own Greek New Testament this week, and um, <laughs> it, uh, it was amazing. I, you know, I heard the sound of what it sounds like when you open a book for the first time in 24 years. <laughs> I got to hear that noise, and I looked at it. I really did try, but it was, uh, dad joke, where's Peter? It's all Greek to me. <laughs> I looked at it. It was all Greek to me. So other than uh, Kevin's translation, I'm going to go to a couple tried and true ones, and we're going to hear these in uh, the New Living translation, and then we're going to hear it from the message. And I would love if we could actually have two volunteers, uh, you don't have to have it memorized, it'll be up on the screen, who could come up this morning, uh, one of you to read this passage for us in the New Living, and then a second person to read it for us in the message. So can we get two people that'd be willing to do that for us this morning? That last phrase there is the one that if you were here the first week, Kevin actually came up and read from the message, kind of that last verse 13. It's the name of our series, that picture of maturity, fully alive like Christ. So from those two translations, we'll go back up to this question slide and want to give you a couple minutes. So maybe some things for that first question when you heard it. You know, examples might be who are those crowds, who are the crowd of captives? You know, where did Jesus descend to? Are these the only gifts that he gave to his church? Can we reach this fully mature, fully alive? Can we reach that this side of heaven? You know, maybe something like that, a question from that passage. And examples of the second type. Maybe when you read this, you, you want to ask the question, God, what gift have you given to me? You know, what work are you calling me to? Or how in my life this week, God, can, do you want me to become fully alive? So let's pause for a couple minutes. I'm going to pray and just invite that these two questions would come to mind that you can write down. God, we turn to you and to your spirit as the one that we realize we are fully dependent on you to understand the truth of who you are and to interpret your word accurately and to allow you to shape us as a result of it. And, and that the invitation you bring us is because your spirit speaks into our life. So would you now take this passage written many years ago and yet still relevant for us today, and would you bring to each of our minds, God, what, what are one or two questions that you would have each of us engage with in this passage this morning? I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Yeah. All right. How do we know when we've reached unity in Christ? What does that look like? Excellent question. What else? Yeah. Fully mature, fully alive like Christ. What does that look like? We'll, we'll touch that in verse 13 a little bit. Thank you. Good question. A couple more. Yeah, Tom. What does it mean that each of us has been given this grace or this gift of grace? Right from the beginning. Good, yeah. Okay, this highest of heights and lowest of lows, is that just kind of that he was incarnated and went back up to heaven? Is there, is there something more to that? There's been lots of debate around that. Let's do one more. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that part about to fill the whole universe with himself. What does, what does that mean? Okay, with those questions in mind, and for each of you with whatever question you head down for number one, let's uh, take a look in this passage together and invite God to speak to those questions this morning. So verse 7, we start, it says, However he, meaning the Father has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that's that grace, and some of you may have had other translations, it's given us a grace. And this is a bit of a teaser for what's about to come in verse 11. 
So from last week, we know we all share unity, right? It was one faith, one Lord, one baptism. This real picture permeated with oneness was the message passage Kevin used. But that doesn't mean that our personalities, our gifts, our abilities, the roles we're given to play, it doesn't mean those are all to be alike. In fact, part of the diversity where it says each one has been given this gift is to keep us interdependent on one another. It is God's desire that no one of us has it all and can make it on our own. His desire is we remain interdependent with each other. These gifts are unmerited. Given because of the generosity of Christ to us, nothing we've done to deserve it. So there is no place, if you remember last week on humility, no place for us boasting. Those who may display these gifts that he's talked about, that is entirely of the Lord. So we're given different, different gifts to different scales according to Christ's perfect wisdom. This is different from manna given to everybody the same amount in the desert in Egypt. It's different than everybody being given the same weather to live under. It's more like the parable of the talents where some got five and some got two and some got one and they were different ones and there's a tension there often that we need to, to live in but it's not unjust or unequal. It doesn't need to cause division because if we remember what's behind them, this diversity in, in scale and gifting is given because it's given by one Lord for one perfect purpose. More about that purpose coming up. But picture this more that instead of looking and putting the microscope on, well, this person got that and I only got this, instead, that's not how God gives these. God gives these in the sense for that his entire body his church, to become perfect. He distributes them according to his perfect wisdom. And we will miss it, and we will become divisive, and, and there'll be a tension if we zoom in to the micro level of, you know, just what does this mean about me compared to you? He is giving these so, so that his church can grow up in full maturity and perfection. So verse 8, that's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives... And gave gifts to his people. That feels really out of place to me. Kind of with everything else we've been reading in Ephesians. And then there's this kind of bizarre imagery. Well Paul is quoting from Psalm 68. And it says when you ascended to the heights you led a crowd of captives. You received gift from the people. He's switched it here. Even from those who rebelled against you. So Paul is speaking of Jesus. Who physically we know ascended to the highest heavens in Acts 1. At the ascension. But also symbolically, that he has been raised by God to the, to the place of highest exaltation, the highest honor. So physically high, but also that God has lifted him up, glorified him, exalted him. He's been lifted up. But what's the rest of this? What's with the crowd of captives and, and gifts to the people? The picture here is a picture of a conquering king or general that is returning from war. And this is the victory parade through the streets of the city with enemies that have been taken captive, taken prisoner. And as they all walk through the city, the king, the general, has been able to accumulate from these conquered people these vast spoils of war and wealth that is given out as gifts to the soldiers, the people who fought, given out to the citizens, given out to whoever the king wants to bless. That's what this is a picture of. So Christ... When he ascended, took sin 
and Satan and death, our enemies, his enemies, captive. And this is the victory parade that Paul is describing. That on full display, Christ is reminding us that he has taken our enemies captive. And he and the Father, therefore, has arranged to pour out his spirit as a gift to all of us. A gift to whomever he chooses. And it was in that ascending that he has the authority to do that. It's the, in the picture of Satan and sin and death being held captive that we know he has the authority to give those good gifts. It's an incredible image. You know, it, it probably is hard for us today, many of us, to relate to this type of war imagery. So let me try to help as best I can. I want to take you back to May 6, 2017, almost two years ago, where, quite frankly, I emerged victorious, <clears throat> third place, against a small handful of other 40 to 49-year-olds at the Mississauga 10K race, fully vanquishing some guy who had developed quite a limp uh, near the end of the race as, uh, as he tried to cross the finish line. And as a result of that conquering, I won these incredible spoils of this paper bag that some guy came and handed to me for third place. And in that bag, the, the victories of war were things like glucosamine for my joints and an ice pack, uh, a leave, biofreeze, another thing for delayed muscle soreness. And because of this great conquering, I had these spoils, these rewards that I could give out to whoever I wanted, someone that was a little older than me and could appreciate them. <laughs> I see Andrew's not here this morning, but I invite you to uh, ask him if he appreciated those, if they helped him out. Uh, you know, there, it's so hard for us to get this image. But this is a beautiful picture. Christ victorious then has these incredible gifts at his disposal to give to his church. That's what that verse is talking about. So it goes on in 9 and 10. This was, was Brian's question. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world... And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so he might, Leanne's question, fill the entire universe with himself. Now, this is a bit of a debated passage. Where exactly did Christ descend to? There's been lots written about that. We'll quickly touch on it here, but I don't want us to get distracted because it's not actually the heart of it. So some think it means, like at Bethlehem, it's the incarnation, at Bethlehem, he humbled himself and he came, that first arrow, he came down to earth. He did it again before Pentecost, right? After the resurrection, he came back down to earth. People who think this, it's similar in language to Psalm 139 where David says, you knit me together in the dark, lowly places of my mother's womb. It's that same type of language. And, you know, it, the reality is it would be very low compared to where he came from at the right hand of the Father, simply coming to earth. Is, is a huge act of humility and descending. Others say, well, no, it, it applies even more than that, that he descended into the earth. It's him going to the grave. And by going into the tomb, it's similar to what Jesus talked about in Matthew 12 when he said, like Jonah, the son of man will spend three days in the heart of the earth. So maybe it's more than just he came to earth and humbled himself to that, but he humbled himself even further and went to the grave. Others say it's, it includes that he went down and descended into hell, into Hades, based on a verse in 1 Peter 3 that it says he, he preached to the spirits in prison. 
in the context of this passage, I, I actually think it lends itself most that he went into the grave, into the tomb, because that is part of the conquering. But it really, the, the point of it, that we can't afford to lose this morning, so you can read those and see which one you think makes the most sense, but don't lose the focus. The point is that this, he, he descended, he humbled himself to the lowest of places. God, the eternal son, takes on the person of Jesus and becomes a, a humble servant into the earth, into the grave for us. And then he was exalted so high, not just to the place at the right hand of the Father, but it says he was exalted to the highest of possible heights. We only can imagine what that means in the mind of God. But in God the Father's eyes, he went as high as you can possibly go. So we have this picture of him filling the entire universe. Why? Because this is the picture of establishing what kingdom has he won. This is the victor, right? The victory parade, the captive taken captive. The victory he has won is the entire universe. From the lowest to the high belongs to him. He has the authority to give gifts of his spirit to, give, to bless us and to give us those gifts. That is what this picture is about. So don't get caught up in, well, does that mean heaven or something higher? Does that mean earth or something lower? It's this beautiful poetry of he's done it all. It all belongs to him. So verse 11 then says, well, it names the gifts. The gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. These are known as the five-fold ministry of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone, but together these are his hands and feet that help his church grow. Now in other passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, lots of imagery around the body of Christ, and in those passages it's the spirit who is giving out spiritual gifts, like pastoring, a spiritual gift of teaching, of evangelizing. Those spiritual gifts are given to believers. This passage is different. This is Jesus directly, not the Spirit. This is Jesus not giving gifts to people, but giving people as his gifts to the church. It's a little different. And it's because it is right at the beginning of the formation of the church that, that what Paul is describing. So quite literally, there are some people that are God's gifts to humanity. <laughs> this is Jesus saying, I am giving you these individuals as apostles. I'm giving you these individuals as, as prophets and as evangelists. And we see that Christ decides who will make which contribution. No one does it all. Friends, I highly doubt cheetahs are despairing that they can't swim. Or dolphins that they can't fly. We need to recognize, if we find our ego bumping up against some of this, we need to recognize and celebrate and learn to utilize the gifts that God has given to us and help pave the way for others to use the gift he's given to them. Because he has perfectly distributed them amongst us. So a quick glance at this list. You know, there's some debate. Are all these still active in the same way today? Let's not get too sidetracked by that this morning. What, what's this gift of apostles? The first one. You know, in this passage, again, it doesn't say he's given someone the spiritual gift of apostleship, but rather that he has prepared some apostles and given them as a gift to his church. This means more. Sometimes in the New Testament, apostle means messenger. Sometimes it means one of the original 12 disciples. It's stronger language here in the Greek. 
And Paul uses it as well, sometimes of himself, of Barnabas, of Silas. So in this original sense that Paul's describing, we know from Matthew 10, an apostle had a commission directly from the Lord, could perform miracles in order to, to provide evidence, had seen the resurrected Lord directly with his or her own eyes, and was given to the entire world to kind of plant and govern new churches. So in that purest of senses, since the qualification meant having seen the risen Lord in person, in that sense, those original apostles that he gave as a gift to the church ceased once the first generation of Christians had passed away. But there's more to that. We need to unpack that in a moment. What does that look like then for us today? So we'll get to that in a moment. Prophets. Well, the prophets brought specific words from God, inspired utterances. They were absolutely critical to the functioning of the early church because the early church did not have our New Testament. And so the prophets were the ones that, that actually were the authoritative spoken word of God. Sometimes speaking the future, they did that three times in Acts, more often proclaiming God's word, convicting and encouraging. In Ephesians 2.20, it tells us the church, it is built on the cornerstone of Christ, but the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we don't need a prophet like John the Baptist in quite the same way today, now that we have the New Testament to turn to. The written word has made the gospel plain and replaced the, the authority that the original prophets carried, which helped greatly reduce confusion because there were so many false prophets running around. And apostles like Paul are not needed in quite the same way today. Now that God has given us, through those original ones, the, the blueprint of the church. But experience would tell us, friends, that these small a apostles, those that God still gifts by his spirit with the spiritual gift of apostleship, continue to be essential in the movement of his church today and the planting and governing of his churches today in new regions. And little p prophets with the spiritual gift of prophecy continue to speak valuable reminders from God to specific situations today for the sake of his kingdom. So yes, it is different from the earliest ones, but that those gifts are so still needed for the church today to fully function. Evangelists, really quickly, only Philip and Timothy in the New Testament are named. These were likely more traveling itinerant preachers who would go and share the good news under the work of the apostles, they weren't limited to a specific location or geography. So picture someone more recently like Billy Graham, even Nicky Gumbel in the sense of, of being someone who is drawing people to the Lord around the world. The final ones, pastors and teachers. These are linked together because they're the ones that are rooted locally, originally rooted locally in a, not necessarily in a congregation like this, like Forest Brook, that didn't come into being until later but paul's talking about in a city that they would be there as shepherds to build up and spiritually protect and feed and shepherd the church from day to day in the ongoing week-to-week -week dynamics within that believers in that city and that word is actually applied to jesus himself that shepherd word multiple times so these are some of the gifts that jesus originally gave to his church and that if we spill out into Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we see the Spirit doing the ongoing work, not just of these gifts, but of many others, to be able to bring his body to perfection. So we finish with, the, with verses 12 and 13. 
Verse 12 says their responsibility, that's the, the five, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So why were those individuals originally given as gifts to the church? Why today does the Spirit give these gifts to his people? To make us spiritually fit for the work that God has called us to do. That's the role of these five. So that the body of Christ, the big body of Christ, the local body of Christ, like here at Forest Brook, and you and I as individuals, so that we can increase both in number and we can increase in transformation to become more like Jesus as each one commits to using the gifts that they have been called to use. Jesus wants and he asks for more of us in order to build up his body. And since we were reminded last week of unity and humility, you'll sense a theme, just it really came to me a lot this week, the need to remind us there is no room for jealousy in this. This is not competitive. This is not, he got that gift, I wish I had it, or she got that gift more than I did. There is no room for that in a kingdom permeated by oneness. Variety of gifts, but full unity in that we have one purpose. That's why he's given them. One purpose to build up his church, his bride, to be as perfect as he desires it to be. To grow in size and to grow in depth. That's why he's given these gifts out. The final verse. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. That we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Or in the message that we would become fully alive like Christ. So that purpose what does it look like? It looks like unity, one hope, one Lord, one body, one faith, does not necessarily mean one preferred set of doctrinal teachings, one preferred worship style, but one heart, one purpose together. Unity is part of that picture. Someone asked the question, what does it look like to be fully alive in Christ? It looks like oneness. The second piece there in that verse, it looks like deep faith and knowledge of God's Son. My friends, this is not just an awareness of who Jesus is. It is not just knowledge about Jesus. That is not why he came and went through all he did and, and conquered the enemy to give these gifts. It is a transformative, intimate relationship with Jesus that he is calling us to. That's what fully alive with Christ looks like. Unity, oneness. Depth of intimate relationship with Jesus. And this final one, fully alive, it looks like maturity. So that might mean that everyone's collective gifts are being used in harmony. We don't know from that phrase. So it might mean maturity, meaning how we relate to one another and everyone contributing what they've been asked to contribute. That might mean, that might be what fully alive in Christ means. Or it might mean that individually each person is living up to this perfect standard of Christ through his spirit. There's probably an element of both. And lots of people smarter than I have, have debated about, can that full maturity happen before we get to heaven? Is it even possible while we're down here? John Wesley, if you read, wrote some amazing stuff on this. And I'd suggest that, well, it can make for an interesting theological debate, 
whether we can achieve that maturity before heaven or not, for our purpose here today, it's irrelevant. And here's why. Ask yourself the question, have we reached full maturity? Look around you. <laughs> look around you, and if that doesn't answer it, take a selfie and take a look at your phone and answer the question, friends, have we reached full and perfect maturity, fully alive in Christ? We haven't, but that's our goal. Our work is not yet done. So in the meantime, until we do, we are called to continue to serve one another with our gifts until we all become perfectly alive in Christ or he comes back. And at that point, we will no longer need these five-fold ministers to the church. So I'm hoping that maybe God spoke to some of our initial questions that he brought to mind in that passage. It is a rich passage that is painted for us. What a wonderful time for us now uh, to have the, the worship team come back up and to express our oneness, express our one faith together as we come to communion. standing just for a moment. A uh, beautiful song to tie in so much of what we talked about this morning. You know, when we were talking about this, uh, this chapter of, of Ephesians 4, and we had Rachel with us and Lindsay, we had this picture of sending us out having had a spiritual checkup, that there was something even in this logo of the heartbeat that God was inviting us to kind of align our heart with his, that he would be our spiritual pacemaker that would keep our heart beating like his. So before the band leads us in our final song, I invite you just to reflect back to that second question that you wrote, or perhaps something else that the Lord has invited you to through something that was said in the message through one of these songs, even through communion that God spoke to you. And let's give the spirit space for just a moment here to invite us. What are we to take from this place? What is he asking for us? together as we serve to build up his body. Let me pray for that. If, if the band could just keep playing and then we'll each take a moment just in silence to in, ask him to invite us. Lord Jesus, ever conquering king who has filled the whole universe with yourself and therefore has authority to send your spirit to us to walk with us and guide us and empower us and fill us. We ask that your spirit now would extend to each one of us your invitation for our day, for our week. What transformation do you have for us today as individuals, as this group called Forest Brook? What are you inviting us to? What are you asking of us? God, may you make it clear for each one and may your spirit empower us, gift us, give us the courage and the boldness to live that out this week for your glory, Jesus so you can be exalted high and your church can be taking one step closer to being fully alive in you.